Let us pray. Settle our hearts and clear our minds. Help us to hear what you have to say to us today. Help us to understand the calling you place upon our lives. Amen. Today's scripture lesson comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 6, verses 19 through 21. Jesus said to them, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust consume, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourself treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust consumes, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Well, it was several years ago now that I got to spend a long time with John Bell. John Bell is a minister in the Church of Scotland, and he has spent a great deal of time teaching and talking about music, primarily concerned with making sure it's accessible to everyone without compromising the power and beauty that music possesses. Reflected in the music that he himself writes is his unwavering commitment to justice and activism. He and I were leading a conference together at Montreat. He was the one doing the preaching, and I was the one leading recreation, which means energizers and games and basically making a holy fool of myself on a grand scale. If you don't know what energizers are, think Presbyterian aerobics set to loud music with a thousand of your closest friends. When we all gathered together for the first time, a few days before the conference was to start, he asked if he could lead us in an icebreaker to help us get to know one another because we had come from all over the place. And we agreed, expecting a name game or something to get us laughing and relaxed. Instead, he asked us to all write down one question the whole group would later be asked to answer. Now, some of us went the expected route, similar to what I asked Jackson just moments ago. What is your favorite snack food? In your opinion, what's the best book ever written? How far did you travel to get here? John Bell went last, and he took a different approach. His question was, if you were given $1,000 with no strings attached, what would you do with it? Now, most of us mentioned traveling to faraway places, I think. A few mentioned books or paying off student loans. But then he said he wanted a second question, and because he was John Bell, no one protested. His second question was this. If you were given $1,000 with the stipulation that you could not spend any of it on yourself, what would you do with it? Well, we were just as quick to come up with responses, but he concluded the icebreaker this way. He said, don't worry about having money. Just be worried about what you do with it. We sat there quietly for a few moments after that, thinking about what he had said. 
And it will forever be one of my more chagrined memories that the very next thing the conference director did was ask me to teach everyone the moves to a new energizer. So we went from the faithful use of money to the dance moves of Macklemore in 60 seconds or less. But even still, his words are what we remember. Don't be worried about having money. Just be worried about what you do with it. It sounds like something Jesus might say, doesn't it? Now, for those of you who haven't been with us these last few weeks, we're in the middle of a sermon series about the things that Jesus never said. And up this week, money is the root of all evil. Jesus never said it. There is good reason why you might think he did, though. The most obvious is that scripture actually contains something fairly close. The Apostle Paul, in one of his letters to Timothy, he writes, There is great gain in godliness combined with contentment. For we brought nothing into this world, and therefore we can take nothing out of it. But we have food and clothing, so we will be content with these. Those who want to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And in their eagerness to be rich, some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. Now, as I mentioned, this is Paul, not Jesus. But much more importantly, Paul doesn't say that money is the root of all evil either. He says that love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And that is a different thing altogether. Now, here is a bit of a disclaimer. One sermon cannot possibly address everything related to faith and money. At least, it's not possible unless you are willing to camp out there in those pews for several days without so much as a bathroom break. So in late February, we'll spend a couple of weeks exploring money from different perspectives in a series called The Economy of Heaven. We'll expand on all of this a bit more then. Today, we're staying very focused on whether money is evil or not. It's not. Money itself is not evil. It is a reality of living in this world, and there's no escaping it, and that's okay. Money affects everyone, no matter how much you have or how much you don't, whether you hold countless investments or you've taken a vow of poverty. Because money itself, again, money itself is not evil. The way that we use it, the attitude that we have surrounding it, what we communicate with it, the power we give it, now that's where evil can creep in. Love of money, as Paul puts it, love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. 
But even still, scripture taken as a whole, it does not offer one single coherent message about money. In parts of the Bible, money and wealth and riches are a sign of God's approval and blessing. The Psalms in particular sound this way, blessed is the one who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in the Lord's commandments. Wealth and riches are in their house and their righteousness endures forever. But then the New Testament includes the Magnificat, where Mary sings about how the hungry will be filled with good things and the rich sent away empty. Elsewhere in his letters, Paul says, Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have rusted and their rust will be evidence against you. For you have laid up your treasure for the last days. Now as for Jesus, when he speaks of treasure, Addie Grace read us one of his most well-known statements about money. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now all of these are just bits and pieces. Again, scripture and even Jesus himself contain vastly different approaches to money. But if I understand what Jesus is saying here, he's saying that our relationship with money communicates a whole lot about who we are and what matters most to us. He isn't against earthly treasure. He just wants to make sure we understand money as a means and not an end. That's why he has that hard conversation with the rich young man a bit later in Matthew's gospel. The man comes to him and says, what good deed must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus reminds him of the commandments and the man recites some of them in return and says, I have done all of this. What else is there? It gets a bit more difficult. Jesus says, sell what you have and give it to the poor. Then, come and follow me. We read that the man goes away grieving because he had so much he would have to give away. And Jesus then says to his disciples, it will be hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. What Jesus reveals here is not that those with money and means cannot be faithful. The young man kept all of the commandments. And neither does Jesus reveal a distaste for money or means. Never once does he criticize the man for the wealth he has. What he says is whatever you have, and in your case, it is money and possessions. Whatever you have, learn to hold on to it lightly. You will need to do that if you are going to follow me. Following me must become the most important. So are you willing to be more loyal to me than you are to your wealth? Are you willing to use your wealth in service of my view of the world in service of helping those who need it most. 
Jesus never criticizes anyone for what they have, just the approach they bring to what they have. Because here's the simple truth. This is the closest to home. It takes money for us to be Shandon Presbyterian Church. And we don't need to be ashamed of that. We have a building that needs electricity and heat. We have mission and outreach that needs to be funded. We have a staff that needs to be paid. And none of that happens if we declare that we are all going to live money-free lives. And aside from our concerns, the free medical clinic and the free dental clinic, they would have fewer resources. The counseling center would be able to offer less client aid. Transitions would purchase less food. The weekend backpack program, fewer students would have enough to eat. Harvest hope and senior resources and family promise and all the rest, but even still, also classes for your children to learn the faith. Small groups and Bible studies for you to find strength and comfort. Music that helps us worship in ineffable ways, worship that connects us to God and to one another and reminds us that everything we do and the fullness of who we are matters deeply. All of it takes money. Money can be used for tremendous good. Money can be immensely faithful. It just depends how we view it and how we live with it. Whether we let it shape our lives or whether we use it to shape the life of the world. Prior to his death, Peter Gomes was an American Baptist minister, professor of Christian morals at Harvard Divinity School and minister of the Memorial Chapel at Harvard University. He was often considered one of the greatest preachers of his generation. And he tells this story of learning the value of money. Early in his career, he worked for the Tuskegee Institute in Alabama. And so as part of this, he was often invited to go and preach in the pulpits of small rural black Baptist churches. Places he described as tiny, hard-scrabble places that rejoiced in names such as Mount Pisgah, Zion's Hill, St. John of Patmos, and Ebenezer. In those churches, he said, they paid the guest preacher by taking up a love offering after the sermon. He said, the people were almost always generous-hearted and grateful for the attention and efforts of a young man new in ministry and new to them. And so early on, he says, I refused these offerings. I refused them on the grounds that these poor people and their poor church needed the money more than I did, since I had a decent salary from the Institute, and it was my pleasure to give. He goes on to say, but in fact, it made me feel quite morally superior to decline these gifts. I knew even then that giving was essentially an expression of power and that it was power more than charity, philanthropy, or stewardship that caused me to refuse the offerings of the people. 
He mentioned his practice of refusal to the dean at Tuskegee, who had become a friend and a mentor. She was not impressed. In fact, she lectured him without mercy for his arrogance. Who are you, she thundered, to refuse to accept the gift of these humble people? You have insulted them by refusing to let them do what they can. She said, you will never be able to give until you learn how to receive. And reflecting on it later, Dr. Gomes wrote, Jesus himself could not have put it better. Never again did I refuse to accept a love offering because it was then that I first began to understand what money was all about. Because money is about money, but it's about so much more than that. It's about what that money communicates and what we communicate with it. It's about values and priorities and relationships. It's about gratitude and enabling dignity and loving our neighbors. And there is absolutely nothing evil about any of that. Pray with me. Gracious God, we believe. Help our unbelief. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.